<clears throat> we miss out on huge portions of the joy that being a part of God's people is supposed to bring. This is what happened in Corinth over the years. And the reason Paul wrote three letters, first and second, then there was one in the middle, he called his stern letter, and he made three trips because they had a problem with division. He worked very hard to help restore that church, not only to himself, but to each other, to end with a very clear directive in this book of 2 Corinthians. So be prepared today. It could make you a bit uncomfortable. It could make it seem like I'm preaching right at you, and I am. Not by name, but you know. But it's necessary because church unity is precious and crucial. Let's look at the passage today, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. <clears throat> greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Look at the history of the passage. I want to talk about the divided church that Corinth was. And there were two sides, basically, in this divided church. There were two groups in the Corinthian conflict, if you remember. We've talked about this through the whole book. Those that supported Paul... And those who had been turned against him by the false teachers said, Paul's not a man of character, and Paul's not a good teacher. And Paul, you know, he, he should be teaching that you have to still worship the temple and in Judaism and not just Jesus. You have to have that. And Paul is a liar, and, and Paul's in it for the money. And so people have been turned against Paul, and there are those who are still loyal to Paul because of his harsh handling of their sinfulness. We went through all the sinfulness that was in Corinth. The immorality, both uh, financially and there was sexual immorality. There's a lot of things going on within the church that were bad. He says, look, you've been divided in conflict. You're really angry with each other. It's time now to resolve this, move on, and put it behind us. And Paul led the example when he referred to his brother that had suffered enough. He says, as a matter of fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, we'll, we'll look at that passage later because I want to show that to you. But if you guys remember, there was early on in the book where Paul said, there is a brother who sinned against me and you guys have been harsh with him. Stop. It's enough. Restore him. So let's talk about the first thing. I want to talk about the word or the, the phrase there, uh, restore brokenness or aim for resolution. The word that he uses when he talks about aiming for uh, restoration is this Greek word. Anybody think you can sell it? say it? Katartizo, which means to mend what has been broken. In reality, it's a medical term. It's a word refused to healing a bone or a dislocation. So what it refers to is restoring a very painful break. Restoring, it's not something like, you know what, apologize for drinking all the milk. It's not that kind of restoration. He says, aim for the repairing of the broken bones. Both of those things, a broken bone or severed relationships between believers, are very painful injuries that must be treated correctly or it will never heal right. 
And this is where I was trying to tell you it was so important that Paul, early in his letter, he instructs the church to restore one that had wronged him, had wronged actually Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 2, 6 through 8 and 10 and 11. I'll just read it to you real quick. He says, for that one, this punishment by the majority has been enough. You should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for you're not ignorant of his designs. Paul says the whole goal is the enemy wants us to hate each other. I'm forgiving him, now you forgive him. Then the next point I want to talk about is this idea of a holy kiss. Some of you got really excited when you read that, I know. Did you know that Paul and Peter used this concept of a holy kiss five times in the New Testament? I'm not going to read all the verses. Just trust me, it's in there. Five times they said, greet each other with a holy kiss. I want to talk about this. You know what it was? It was an active symbol of brotherly love and unity to greet somebody in that culture with a kiss. It's culturally symbolized by a very close connection. It's amazing, frankly, for new believers who normally would be scorned socially and physically. Nobody wants to be around them or talk to them. They wouldn't even want to eat with them, even their own families, because of the gospel. And what this does, the apostles were talking about it, it creates a special kinship with a new family. And it would mean so much to those who had been rejected because of their faith in Christ. Now they're greeted by those who should have nothing to do with them, but say, you are one of us. And they greet each other with a holy kiss. Jewish believers publicly accepting Gentiles. You're not supposed to eat with people who aren't Jewish. The Jewish believers say, not only will we eat with them, We'll give them a kiss on the cheek when we see them. We are united with them. And Paul made it very clear here and in many other areas just how critical, crucial the unity of the church was. It was the area that the evil one then and now attacks the most. He wants to attack it the most, and that's what he was doing in Corinth. And Paul wants to complete restoration of this church of the brokenness and the division that the fault teachers had created. He says, mend the broken bones and greet each other with affection. That's the history of the passage. Now let's look at the theology. I want to talk about the idea that love is required. Church, listen to me. Grace, once you have received grace, which is undeserved favor, Favor that you get that you did not earn, but that God, by his sovereign power, placed upon you. Grace places the unavoidable expectation on us us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the expectation. We are expected to live in love from how we work, how we play. And get this, this will kind of blow your mind. We should live in love and even how we fight. Because we are going to have conflict. We are going to have disagreements. The idea that we don't is a lie and a fantasy. In a church that says there's no conflict, they're lying. We have to learn to live in love, how we work, how we play, and even how we conflict with one another. But our natural human arrogance runs from reconciliation. It's us saying they don't deserve my, I need God's grace, but you don't deserve my grace. 
It's forgetting how desperate you yourself or we need grace and how we are just as guilty as the ones we are angry with. Because failure to love, the instinct to avoid restoration, is frankly a result of two things. First one is a lack of courage. And Paul exposed that all through 2 Corinthians. I mean, he has some courage, right? He he confronts his detractors face to face, head on. And frankly, through many other places. But, you know, Jesus really talked about this idea of dealing with conflict with courage in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. I'll just read one verse, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him and seven other people alone. No, that's not what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. And there's other steps in there. But the problem with Matthew 18 is that takes a little courage. It's so much easier to passive aggressively send little signals that we aren't happy about something. I just won't attend. (laughs) Or I won't return the text. Or I'll use a very questionable disrupting emoji. In a response. What does that mean? Why did you angry emoji me? But really, what a lack of courage is really saying is that you don't really trust Matthew 18 to work. And that really results in a lack of faith. I love what 1 John, the book we're getting ready to study, 1 John chapter 2, 9 to 11 says. Whoever says he lives in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you aren't in a situation where you have the courage to deal with the conflict, it's possible that you lack the faith that enables you to love your brother or your sister. That's the historical That's the theological. Let's look at the personal application of today's passage. I want to talk about how we are supposed to be living the grace life. There's a reason our church is called that with one word. It is a lifestyle. So this was my uh, social media little campaign this week. Uh, How can you claim God's grace for yourself by withholding it from others in your own church family? That's right. That's what I said when I wrote it. That's pretty good, Pastor Joe. Hey, you... They're going to like that one. You're going to get a lot of likes. I didn't get that many, so I was a little discouraged, but whatever. (laughs) Some of y'all need to get on your social media game. That's all I'm saying. Let me tell you something. There is no bitterness option if you're living the grace life. I mean, right after his directive to aim for restoration, Paul says, as you aim for restoration, the grace of God, the love of God, and the spirit of God are with you. See, the fact of the matter is you will be connected to each other and you will be connected to your church family if you have received the grace of God. If the gift of faith has been given to you. So some ways that we demonstrate and live the grace life is we, first of all, we demonstrate love. I want us to apply directly today's perspective from Corinth that Paul gave about our grace life. See, the enemy desires to create conflict. Frankly, he loves it when they last for years, and trust me, they can. They can foster bitterness, disconnection, and pain, 
and resentment and gossip. And we are about to celebrate the Lord's table today. So before we do, we have some work that we need to do today. Because we must demonstrate love. And there are two ways to demonstrate love for your church family. The first one is the holy hug. We don't do the kiss anymore. That's not culturally acceptable now, okay? So it's now a hug. Some of you are glad that I greet you with a hug and not a kiss. Just admit it. But our Christ connection, guys, this is so important. This is a very important concept I want you to get. Our Christ connection should be enjoyed, celebrated, protected, and never taken for granted. And we take it for granted many ways. One of them is by not looking to aim for restoration. One is by not being around. But the enemy seeks to attack those kinds of relationships. This is why, and I do this for a reason. Remember, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. So for me to be at the door every Sunday trying to hug every one of you as you come in, I do that as your pastor because I want you to know how glad I am to see you. I want you to notice how much it means to me to see you here, part of our grace life together. Lucky for you, I said, like I said, I do it with a hug and not a kiss. But listen, one of the things I want you to do today before we do the Lord's table, if there are those in this room that you really love and appreciate, we're going to take about four minutes, maybe a little more, maybe a little less before the Lord's table. And I want you to go around and I want you to find people that you really love and greet them with a holy hug. Unless it's your spouse, but you know, then that's a different story. But I want you to go around today and find somebody not in your family, find them and say, I just want you to know how glad I am you're part of my grace life. Because we have to, we have to acknowledge that. Paul says, comfort one another, encourage one another, love one another in peace. We're going to do what he said today before we take the Lord's table. There's another way you can demonstrate love. <clears throat> Aim for restoration. Look, even though we're only about, what? 18, 19 months old. Oh, wait a minute. In October, it'll be two years. I mean, you're like, is that like 20 months old? Almost two years old. It's still possible that grace life has some echoes of the problems that Corinth had. Relationships that need katarizo, that need, have, need to have bones mended. As your pastor, I encourage you, as Paul did the Corinth church, to aim for restoration, comfort, and agreement with one another. Whether you're at fault or the injured party is irrelevant. Passive-aggressive arm-crossing is not an option in the grace life. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24, here's what Jesus said. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, and you can reverse that if you have something against your brother... Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Aim for restoration. So the other job I have for you today, look, I'm not asking you to break down into big uh, counseling sessions all around the place, okay? I'm not. <laughs> but if there are those in the room that you need restoration with today, Agree on grace. You can tell them right now or at the very least make a commitment to God that you will do so this week. Amen. I'm not saying you got to do it today unless you want to. 
But you've got to make a commitment to aim for the restoration, the repairing of those broken bones. This is why we decided to do the Lord's table today. Because it's a great way to cap off the way Paul ends 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read the passage again. And just listen carefully. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, the repairing of broken bones. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss hug. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So what we're going to do now, uh, Megan's going to come up and help me with this part, but what we're going to do now is I'm just going to give you guys three or four minutes as a congregation to find some people that you want to say, I love you and I'm so glad you're part of our grace life. Maybe there's a person you want to say, look, we've had some disagreements today. Let's agree and aim for restoration or at the very least, make a commitment in your own heart for that. So let's do that for the next few minutes. Okay, go ahead. got 60 seconds, 60 seconds. You have 60 seconds to demonstrate love. That's it. church find a place back to your where you were where your uh, your elements of the Lord's table are we're going to celebrate unity in the Lord's table together so you have to stop hugging each other now that's what that means
they even hear me. So, what Jesus did was pretty amazing. Did you know that in the midst of being with people, get this now, in the midst of being with people that Jesus was about to be betrayed by, Judas, Peter, the scaredy cat apostles, he has this incredible act of unity, of eating together. And he says, listen, I'm getting ready to suffer on your behalf. And he eats and drinks with people he knows are human and are going to fail in just a few hours. But by grace, he says, I am identifying with you. And he says in Matthew chapter 18, uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, he says, now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this and eat. This is my body given for you. Take a small one. <laughs> and as he did that, I'm sure the disciples were a little confused. Some of them were talking with their mouth full. But he wasn't done because he knew that the only way he could be restored with his people, it's not only that his body would be broken, but that his blood would be shed. So what he did, he took a cup, poured the wine, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, this is the cup. Drink it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, the very forgiveness of sins they were about to commit. Church. What we do when we do the Lord's table, this is not some religious rite that we do because we're supposed to. We're not doing it because somehow it's another notch on our religious belt to make us closer to Jesus. The whole point of the Lord's table is he's saying, Christian, take, eat, and drink, and be one because the price for your sin was great but I have paid it for every one of you. And my prayer is that when you recognize the cost of grace to you, you will be more than willing, in fact, excited to extend it to others, especially those in your church family. Aim for restoration of those broken bones. Protect love. Protect unity. Enjoy fellowship. Greet one another with affection so that the grace and peace of God and the Holy Spirit will be with you. Heavenly Dad, we're so thankful. 
Well, I don't know about the rest of the church, but I'm thankful that Corinth was so sinful. (laughs) I'm so thankful that Corinth made it so attainable to be a church. Sometimes it seems like a pretty low bar. But we know that that's true with all of us because of grace. Lord, help us to celebrate not only the grace that you've given to us, but make us equally excited about celebrating the grace you have given to those around us. Lord, help us to treat each other like we have all received grace. Help us to aim for restoration, protect and enjoy the fellowship and affection that you've given us through the common bond of the gospel in Jesus Christ. May we live our grace life in a way that brings a massive, massive smile to your face and to ours as well. Now the grace and peace of God be with you this week. May you go with the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ before you in everything you do and how you interact with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a great day. people now.